0: Great to see you here this morning and great to begin a new year with you. And i say thanks to Jeff and team for leading us in worship this morning and uh, filling in for a, a Doug, who's enjoying some good time off. And also thanks last week to Andrew Lewis and the team that led us in worship. They did a tremendous job, didn't they? And then also thanks the last week for Al Cage, who brought a very powerful message from God's Word really, really blessed by that. Well, happy new year. Oh, come on. All right. I thought 2015 was a depressing year, right? How many of you made a new year's resolution? They made one yet? Okay. We're in church, you know, you should. I've heard a new year's defini- a definition of new year's resolution is something that comes in one year and goes out the other. (laughs) Well, I'd like to recommend a good resolution for you. Resolution I'd make for you is to get connected. Get connected. First of all, get connected with the Word, the Word of God. Sometimes uh, we think it requires so much to read the Bible. I uh, was interested to find out this week something I really already knew, that the average person spending 10 minutes a day can read through the entire Bible in one year. 10 minutes a day can read through the entire Bible. If you just want to read through the New Testament... Four minutes a day would accomplish that. And think of the return on reading the Word of God. (laughs) Think of the power of that. So i encourage you with that resolution to get connected with the Word of God. I'm doing that again this year myself in terms of trying to read through the Bible. I don't do that every single year. But this year decided to make it a year of reading through the Bible. If you read three chapters of the Old Testament, two chapters of the New Testament, you'll read through the entire Old Testament, you'll read through the New Testament twice. So I encourage you to get connected with the Bible. The other thing I encourage you about is just getting connected with the body. Make this a year to get connected with the bodies. We call it C3, C3. Connected to Christ, connected to community, and connected to a cause. Get connected to Christ in worship. You started off the new year right, here you are. Now keep it up. (laughs) Keep coming and being regular in your attendance. Expecting God to meet with you as you meet with your brothers and sisters and enjoy uh, time in God's presence. And then get connected to community. Join a group. This will be a great year for some here to join a group, whether it's a Sunday morning group, an ABF, or whether it's a a group for adults, growth groups, maybe a men's group, women's group, all types, high school, growth groups, groups for middle schoolers, course Sunday school, we all need community, don't we? And then get connected to the cause. Get connected to the cause. That is the cause of making disciples for Jesus Christ. Nothing is more important than that. And so I encourage you, find a place to serve where you can use your abilities for the Lord. So this year, I encourage you to get connected uh, with the Bible and get connected with the body. Now, I'm excited about Uh, The year ahead of us here at West Park, I really believe that it's going to be one of the most uh, important years in the entire history of our church. Our church will turn 55, Lord willing, uh, this year. As a matter of fact, 55 years ago this month, it first started as a Bible study and then was organized as a church in September But I believe this year, knowing how God is leading and moving in the hearts of our staff, our pastors, this is gonna be a significant year with amazing opportunities and faith stretching as never before. The Lord's gonna stretch our faith this year and he's going to show himself faithful. How many of you know God's faithful, right? And I believe it's going to be a great year of fruit-bearing, seeing the Lord produce fruit. And so thinking about fruit-bearing, I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, to uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And as you're turning there, you're going to have to bear with me as I sip on water this morning. (laughs) There's nothing wrong, okay, other than just too much cold medication, okay? I want you to know that's what it is too. It's cold medication has nothing to do with New Year's Eve. All right, once you to know that. I don't need to start that. John 12, page 899, if you're using the Bible in front of you, page 899. Now, as you're trained there, I want you to notice the context of this passage that God's put on my heart for this first service of our new year the context here is one of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead his greatest miracle and then the anointing by Mary because she recognizes that he is going to Jerusalem to die and this is her opportunity to anoint him And then we have the account of the great triumphal entry. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, the word of his raising Lazarus from the dead has gotten out. And masses of people, masses of people, who were there for the Passover, are thronging around Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. They are putting in their cloaks, garments in the street, putting down palm branches. They are shouting Hosanna to the son of David, the Messiah. The masses are just gathering around him. And the religious leaders who see this, they make the statement, the whole world (laughs) has gone after him. The whole world's gone after him. And after they say that, then we're told in God's word, there's a unique request that is made of Jesus. A unique request, and then Jesus gives the most unusual response to this unique request. It's found in verse 20, and we're going to read verses 20 through 26 of John 12. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, Andrew. And Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, this is somewhat puzzling, isn't it? Very puzzling. Jesus was requested an interview by followers. He was asked by Philip and then to Andrew, that he might have an audience from some people who had requested to see him, and these followers let him know that the request was coming from foreigners. It was coming from Greeks. These were not people of the Jewish beliefs, but they had become proselytes, evidently, and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, his response when he was asked about having an audience was to start talking about farming. He's he's requested an interview and then he starts talking about farming. Did you notice that? He starts talking about seeds and planting and fruitfulness. Now that seems like it does not follow, but if you, look more closely, you're going to see how appropriate it is, and as we're going to look closely at this morning, I trust by the Spirit of God, we're going to see how timely it is for us on this Sunday morning to hear Jesus respond to these foreigners as he talks about farming. We're going, this morning, talk about the harvest of a planted life. The harvest of a planted life. Now, I want you to know, I had a Jim Dandy illustration to use right here. Man, I've been waiting all all week long to use this illustration because, you see, the archaeological world has been abuzz recently. The archeological world's been a, a buzz about King Tut's tomb. Anybody heard about this? That in King Tut's tomb, that boy king of Egypt who reigned uh, over 3,000 years ago, that in his tomb that was excavated in 1922, now they had found a hidden chamber. What was in this hidden chamber? And there's been all kinds of discussions about what this hidden chamber might hold. Maybe it's the burial chamber of Queen Nefertiti, or maybe one of the other members of the royal family. Not sure, so it was my plan to tell you this story about how a few years after King Tut's tomb was excavated, all these riches and treasures were found inside of that tomb. But also found inside that tomb were incredible quantities of grain. And a few years after that excavation, some of that grain was planted and amazingly after 3,000 plus years, that grain, Germinated, that grain sprouted and it produced wheat. I was so excited to share that story. As a matter of fact, I was hoping some of you had remembered I'd shared the story many years ago. So you can imagine how disappointed I was to find out it didn't happen. <laughs> that, that sounds great, but it didn't happen. I hate that. I hate that when the internet ruins good illustrations. I just hate that. (laughs) But then I thought for a moment, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's perfect. King Tut's tomb was full of grain, but that grain never produced a harvest. Why? Because that grain was buried, it wasn't planted. It was buried in his tomb, it wasn't planted. There is no harvest for a buried life. But there's an incredible harvest for a life that's been planted. The harvest of a planted life That is what Jesus is talking about here. A harvest that comes from a planting. Now it opens with a request. This passage opens with a request from some foreigners and it's these Greeks. What is it the Greeks Want to know? What did the Greeks want to know? Well, it says that they approached Philip. Now, why did they approach Philip, not one of the other disciples? Well, Philip had a Greek name. And he also, they may have found out, was from Bethsaida, which was a a Greek cultured city in Galilee. So maybe they thought they could get an audience through him. And so they said to Philip, Sir, We want to see Jesus. Now, what did they mean by that? We want to see Jesus. They didn't mean, could you point Jesus out to us? Which one is he? We want to see him. You know, we want to get a photo of us and Jesus. Jesus. That's not what they meant. When they said, we want to see Jesus, what they meant was, we want to be introduced to Jesus because we've heard about him, we wanna know what he's about, we want to understand him. That's what they wanted to know. They wanted to know about Jesus. They wanted to know what he was all about. And so very interestingly, we're not told whether these men ever got to talk to Jesus. Might have been men and women. But we're not told whether they ever were introduced to Jesus and got to speak to him. But you see, the whole point of the message of this passage is not what these Greeks wanted to see. We want to see Jesus. The point of the passage is what Jesus saw. What did he see? That's the point. And so when Jesus saw these, that these Greeks wanted to see him, he makes this statement. Notice verse 22. When he is asked to have an audience with these Greeks, he responds. Verse 22. And Jesus answered. Verse 23, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. It's come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's actually verse 23. And can you imagine what the disciples were thinking when Jesus said, the hours come for me to be glorified. They've just come down the Mount of Olives. They've just had this hallelujah parade. They've just been welcomed with people saying, Hosanna to the king, Hosanna to the son of David, Messiah has come to the capital. Can you imagine when Jesus said, the hour is come for me to be glorified? They were going, Yes. Maybe high fiving or fist bumping. Maybe fist bump hash brown, you know, whatever that is. Okay. <laughs> Yes, this is it. But that's not the glory that Jesus was talking about. You see, Jesus saw in the coming of these Greeks, he saw his mission. That's what he saw. He saw his mission. What was it the Pharisees said, verse 19? The whole world has come after him. After they make that statement, who walks up and wants to see Jesus? Greek people. Not Jewish, Greek people. The whole world has gone after him. These Greeks who've traveled so far, they want to see him. And Jesus saw in this coming of the Greeks, he saw his mission. He saw what his life was all about, a mission for the world, a mission that was going to draw the whole world to himself. But how was he going to do it? Verse 32, he said, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. All the world has come after him. Here's here's a few of them, Greeks, masses of people, and Jesus sees his whole mission to bring not just the Jewish people, but to bring the nations of the world to himself. But the way that that will happen is not by coronation, but by crucifixion and resurrection. That's how it will happen. That's what Jesus knew. He knew his mission. What did Jesus say about his mission? Well, notice a couple things Jesus said about his mission. He's saying, first of all, his mission will be hard. It's going to be hard, very hard. Look at verse 24. This is what it's going to mean. Verse 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is talking about his death. He is the grain. His death will be required. He must die. He must be planted in order for his mission to be fulfilled. He must be lifted up. And you know how Jesus felt about that? It terrified him. It terrified him. Look at verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. You see that word troubled? It means literally my soul is shaking within me. It's not just a passing pang, a little depression. When Jesus thought of what it would mean to be lifted up on the cross, not just physical death, but to become sin, to become the recipient of the wrath of God on sin, when he thought about that, his holy soul shuddered. His mission would be hard. But Jesus saw something else. Although he knew the path of his mission would be horrendous, he also knew that the outcome of his mission would be glorious, glorious. It would be a glorious mission How would it be glorious? Because out of his death and resurrection, he would give life to many. Look at verse 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What had just been the final miracle that Jesus had performed, do you remember? The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Hearing about that, the masses were coming to see him. Even these Greeks were coming. And Jesus is saying this. He is saying, my own death and my resurrection is what's going to draw people to my Father. Bring people to me. Be the life of the world. It's going to be glorious. Jesus knew his mission was going to be glorious because of the life it was going to give to many. But ultimately, Jesus knew his, lot, his mission would be glorious because it would bring glory to the Father. It would bring glory to the Father. Jesus' goal above all else was to glorify his Father. His thinking above all else, regardless of the cost, was that his life, his death, his resurrection would glorify the Father. Listen to Jesus talk about that glory that he's looking to. Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him, but Jesus answered, The voice came for your sake, not mine, because now is the judgment of the world. Now things are going to be made right in the world. Now the ruler of the world, Satan, is going to be overcome. And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Thank God Jesus accomplished his mission, right? He would not turn back. His mission was to glorify the Father. Glorify the Father by bringing redemption to the world. Glorify the Father by bringing the overthrow of the enemy. Bring honor to the Father by bringing people to salvation through his death and his resurrection. This is what he wanted, the glory of God. That's what Jesus knew. The people ask, sirs, We want want to see Jesus. But Jesus saw this. He saw his mission. Now, just for a few minutes, I want you to see that Jesus has left us a pattern and he's left us instructions in this about our mission. He did not just stop talking about himself, did he? Jesus went on to talk about his followers. Now I want you to notice what Jesus wants his followers to know. What does Jesus want his followers to know? Here's what he wants us to know. A couple of things. Number one, following him is hard. His mission was hard. Following Jesus is hard. Jesus is always absolutely honest, isn't he? Jesus does not operate with a bait and switch. He was absolutely honest about what it meant to be his follower, what the requirements would be, not the options. What are the requirements of those who want to follow Jesus? Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it and whoever hates his life will keep it to eternal life. That doesn't sound very user-friendly to me. (laughs) It doesn't sound very seeker-sensitive, but it sounds just like our truth-speaking Jesus, doesn't it? Whoever, whoever saves his life Loves his life is the idea. Holds on to his life. He's going to lose it. And whoever hates his life will keep it to eternal life. Now what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? What did he just talk about? a grain of wheat falling to the earth and dying to produce fruit. He's talking about himself. And he says, if you follow me, the same will be true of you. The call to follow Jesus, friends, is a call to die. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him take up his what? Cross. Cross and follow me. When Jesus said, take up his cross, he wasn't talking about pick out a ring from a jewelry store. He wasn't talking about an emblem. He wasn't talking about a lapel pin or a necklace. There's nothing wrong with those things as we wear them to his glory. But when Jesus mentioned a cross, everybody knew what he meant, death. Death, an instrument of death. If you want to follow me, take up your cross, my cross. You follow me. The call to follow Jesus is a call to die. Friends, listen. This is not optional. This is not just for missionaries. This is not just for people who are called to special service. This is the call that goes out to anybody who wants to follow Jesus. It is the call of what it means to become a Christian. To become a Christian means you can't love your life You can't love it and have it your way because to follow Jesus means you have a new master. It means that you're willing almost to hate your life. It doesn't mean to hate yourself but the idea is that in comparison, you reject your self-mastery and you turn to the mastery of Jesus. Now that's not earning your salvation. What does that mean? It means calling upon Jesus as Lord. We do not make Jesus Lord, he is the Lord. And he calls us to follow him as Lord. And this is what he's saying to his disciples. If you wanna come after me, you must be willing to die. Even as I'm willing to die, But I'm going to live. And if you're willing to die releasing your life, then you're really going to live. Look at verse number 27. Look at the promise. But whoever hates his life, that is, surrenders his life. Surrenders control is the idea. He is going to find it to eternal life. Eternal life, now listen carefully, it doesn't mean a quantity of life. It doesn't mean just, well, one day you go to heaven. No, the Bible says if you follow Jesus, you have eternal life. It means a quality of life, not just a quantity. Yes, if you're a Christian, you will live forever. But if you are a follower of Christ, a Christian, you are living right now. It's a quality of life. You really are going to live. It's a glorious life. Following Jesus is hard, but following Jesus is glorious. It's a glorious life. Why is it glorious? Well, there's much fruit, much fruit. Verse 24, you become that seed that, that falls to the earth It dies, but it doesn't remain alone. It bears much fruit. It's it's as we release control that we really experience life for what it's meant to be in following Christ. I read a story about a woman who was going to Africa to be a missionary. And then her mother said to her, you're going to be buried in Africa. And she said, no, mom, I'm going to be planted in Africa. I'm going to be planted. Is your life buried or planted? Buried or planted? Whatever we hold on to with self-control and we hold it back from Jesus, whatever that is, our abilities, our days, our opportunities, our talents, our resources, whatever we hold back from Jesus, we lose, it's buried. It's buried. But whatever we release to Him, our lives, our days, our opportunities, our talents, yes, our treasure, whatever we release to Him, we don't lose, we gain. (laughs) Bears much fruit. It's a glorious life. God doesn't want His people to be buried. He wants his people to be planted. Last week, our Cage, a ministry, our ministry resident here, he brought a powerful message. It was from Matthew 13, but I was struck by a quotation he used from Jeremiah 29. God said to those exiles, his people who are in exile in Babylon, he said, Settle down. Seek the welfare of the city. Plant vineyards. Seek the welfare of the city in your prosperity, their prosperity. You will bring prosperity, you will be a blessing. You will bless the city. As we're planted, we become a blessing. We multiply our lives. And the influence is just released. But as we hold on and we control things and control, try to control everything about our lives, we lose it. Jesus offers a glorious life, much fruit, much honor. Notice verse number 26. If anyone serves me, you must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor. My father will honor him. That means the approval, the smile of heaven. We have to decide whose smile do we want. Do we want the world's smile or do we want God's smile? Sometimes you can't have the smile of God and the smile of your friends. Sometimes you can't have the smile of God and the smile of your own family. Sometimes... The frown of the world is the smile of God. What did God say of his son? This is my beloved son, in him I am what? Well pleased. Is that not an honor? To know that as we follow Jesus, as we we seek to be faithful to him, letting him control our lives, the heavenly father gives his approval a spirit bears witness, and what we look forward to is that a- approval we'll hear one day from the lips of Jesus Himself. What will we hear as we're faithful? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Can you imagine how priceless, how infinitely priceless, will it be to have Jesus say to us, "Well done." well done it's a glorious life much fruit much honor and folks much joy much joy following Jesus listen following Jesus is not stoic resignation well if I have to if you just gotta I guess so That's the way it's got to be. No, following Jesus is life itself. Following Jesus is the greatest life there can be. Why? Because it's Jesus you get to follow. Everybody follows someone. Following Jesus is the joy himself. The joy of the Lord, knowing him, he said, verse 26, where I am, there my servant will be. This fellowship with Jesus is priceless, it's glorious. Friends, following Jesus is hard. But following Jesus is glorious. It's it's glorious with a harvest, the harvest of a planted life that bears fruit harvest of fruit and honor and joy. Now friends, I ask us this question on this threshold of this year. Examine your life. Are you planting your life or are you burying your life? When they opened King Tut's tomb, one man was able to peer in with a candle. They asked him, what do you see? And he responded, marvelous things. Marvelous things as he saw the gold shimmering, the priceless ivory, the jewels, all the things. He said, I see marvelous things. But you know what he also saw? He saw a waste, a wasted life. He saw the way a pagan lives and dies. A pagan king, in his paganism, took all that he had and buried it. With his dead body. That's paganism. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we have to be careful that we're not practical pagans. Because we take our life and we bury it, holding on to it, controlling making our own decisions, not praying and asking God's direction, not asking the Spirit to prompt us how we can share with others, how we can minister to others, how we can love God and love people, but just living the ordinary life the world describes for us. Make your plans work at your plans, accomplish your goals, your way, in your timetable with the people you choose and the job you choose and with the retirement you deserve. That is pressed into us, folks, daily. But that is paganism. That's burying your life. Planting your life is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, who's the partner you have for me? Lord, what's the the journey that you have? What's the career? Lord, how can you use me at this plant where I work? How can you use me in this office? Lord, what do you have me here for? Lord, do you know where I am. Why? What do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do with this stuff that you've given to me? It's yours, it's your possessions. What do you want me to do with it? Lord, what do you want me to do with this last part of my life? now that I'm not having to go in and work the job, the occupation, now I have this time that's called retirement, what do you want me to do? You see, that is planting your life. That's gaining your life, not burying it. Whatever we selfishly grasp, we bury, but whatever we trust into the hands of Jesus we plant it's a new year i've been thinking about harvest a lot somebody said something just in a passing comment i don't even know who said it it's been in the last 3 or 4 months It was a discussion about the years that you have remaining. And someone had told this person to think of them not as years, but harvests. How many harvests do you have remaining? That struck me. How many harvests? My days are seeds. My, my opportunity are seeds. This is the time. I must redeem this time. It's time to plant, it's not time to bury. The harvest of a planted life. Aspire heads for a moment. I thank you so much for your attention this morning. Now listen. Jesus said, don't let the seed of the word of God be snatched away from you. You have heard this morning the word of God. You could have heard it from a much better preacher. (laughs) You could have heard it from a much more accomplished messenger. But you have heard the word of God. It has been put into your life what are you going to do with the seed? So our heads are bowed. Just think about what is buried in my life rather than planted. Am I burying my life or am I planting my life? I believe right now there are people here that God is showing a situation or maybe an opportunity, maybe it's it's a specific focus in your life, but the Spirit is just saying, release, plant, plant that, release that. I pray you'll have grace from the Lord to trust an all-loving Christ to release it to His hands. Maybe you just need to say, Lord, here I am. I feel like I've been burying my life for a long time or I've been burying it recently. Lord, plant me, plant me. Maybe some here today need to take up the cross and follow Jesus and say, Lord, I recognize salvation isn't just a insurance policy. Salvation isn't just a get out of hell card. Salvation is following you. It is being a follower of Christ through the grace and power of Christ. And Lord, I take up my cross. I follow you today. I become your follower today. Yes, Lord, I follow you. Lord, have your way. We need you. Oh, we need you. As we sing it, Lord, may it be the testimony of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.